Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for a good number there, choir. Good reminder for us to wait on the Lord. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one. We'll be reading some verses there in just a few minutes. We continue our series in Philippians. We're calling still joyful. While you're finding Philippians chapter one, I want to share with you what has been called the yuppie prayer. Perhaps you've heard this, the yuppie prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my bank account to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub is watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough and that all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my cordless phone still works and that my career won't interrupt my perks. I pray my microwave won't radiate. My condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake, I pray my Mercedes they won't take. Amen. Well, probably none of us would verbally pray such a prayer as that. It does get us all thinking about our own prayer lives and what requests we make. I was running, uh, reading this past week and ran across a story that Haddon Robinson shared in a, sto- in a sermon called the, the Disciples' Prayer. And uh, he says, when our children were small, we played a game. I'd take some coins in my fist. They'd sit on my lap and work to get my fingers open. He said, according to international rules of finger opening, once the finger was open, it couldn't be closed again. He said they would work at it until they got the pennies in my hand. They would jump up and and down and run away, filled with glee and delight. Just kids, just a game. And he said, sometimes when we come to God, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade helping to study. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mother is ill. We reach for the pennies. And when God grants the request, we push the hand away. More important Then the pennies in God's hand is the hand of God himself. That's what prayer is about. That was very interesting. Something to think about. We know from our study in Philippians so far that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Philippians. If you look back at verse three, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse four, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. We know that he prayed for them, thanking God for them, doing it joyfully. And it also says that he made specific requests for them. You know, beloved, when you think about it, it's a real blessing, isn't it? When somebody tells you they're praying for you when somebody comes and say, I'm praying for you. Isn't that a blessing? But, you know, I thought about it this past week. And when someone tells you that, have you ever stopped to consider exactly what they're asking God to do for you? What exactly are they praying for? They may not even like you. And yet it says they're praying for you. They may be asking that uh, curses be upon you instead of blessings. It reminded me of a story of the preacher and song leader who were not getting along and they were having this disagreement, and as time went by, the disagreement spilled over into the worship service. The first week, the preacher got up and he preached on commitment and how all of us should dedicate ourselves to the Lord. And the song leader got up and closed the service that morning with the song, I shall not be moved. (laughs) 
Well, the next week, the preacher got up and preached on tithing. And now all of us should gladly give to the work of the Lord. And the song leader closed with the song, Jesus Paid It All. The third week came and the preacher preaches on gossip and how we all should watch our tongues and be very careful of our speech. And the song leader got up and closed with the with the song. I love to tell the story. (laughs) With all this going on, as you can imagine, the preacher became disgusted over the situation. And the following Sunday, he talked to the congregation and told them he was considering resigning. And the song leader closed with, oh, why not tonight? (laughs) Finally, as it came to pass, the preacher did indeed resign. And the next week he got up in his closing message in closing time there and shared with the congregation how it was Jesus who led him there. And it was Jesus who was taking him away. And the song leader closed with what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that story is true or not. Sadly, it probably is. Now, you know why I lead the singing here. No, I'm just kidding. But it does make you think about your prayer lives and also think about what other people are praying for you. And I trust most of the time, if not all the time, when someone says I'm praying for you, they're doing so with a heart of love and asking God's blessing upon you. But we know in Paul and in the Philippians case, we're not left to wonder about these matters. In the first place, we know that Paul loved them deeply. But in the second case, Paul tells them outrightly that I'm praying for you. And we know specifically what some of his requests were. In a real sense today, we get to take a look at Paul's prayer list, or at least a small part of it. And we're going to find that Paul did not spend his time praying the yuppies prayer. Nor did he spend his time simply grasping for mere pennies. In fact, as we look at Paul's prayer, beloved, we're going to find that his prayers did not look like nor sound like our prayers most of the time. Let's get real honest for a moment. Our prayers usually and most of the time revolve around the physical. We pray about sickness. We pray about needs. We pray about health concerns. We pray about job issues. And beloved, don't misunderstand. We should pray about those things. We should lift those things before the Lord. But I want you to see today that Paul's prayer life and Paul's prayer request revolved around the spiritual. Now, there are four things that he prayed for them here. And I want to look at these. No doubt he prayed for more things, but four things in specific here. And I want to look at those for a few minutes today. We'll begin reading there at verse four and then drop down to verse nine. He says in verse four, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests of joy, drop down to verse nine. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Work in hearts now, I pray. Use me in Jesus' name. Amen. Four specific things we find Paul praying for. First of all, he prayed for their love. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, it's interesting to note that the love that Paul mentions there has no object. In other words, he doesn't say, I pray you'll love me more and more. 
or even I pray you'll love each other more and more or even I pray that you'll love God more and more. He simply says there in verse nine, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. It has no object. Now, why is that? Why does he not mention himself or each other or God? Well, as Millick says, it's a characteristic of the lover, regardless of the object. Love was to follow in the wake of their living. They were to be love. Now, what kind of love is Paul talking about here? You know, there are different types of love. We know there's phileo love, which is brotherly love. Is that what he's talking about? No. We know this eros love. That is that where we get our name or our word erotic or sensual. Is that what kind of love he's talking about? Different types of love here. Is he talking about brotherly love? No. Is he talking about erotic love? No. The love here is agape love. You know about agape love. What's so special about it, preacher? Well, it's Jesus love. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a selfless action, a selfless love that seeks to benefit other people. And the model for this love is Jesus Christ himself. This is a love that gives without looking to get back. Now, we know, beloved, the Philippians already had love. They already had Jesus. First John four, seven says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. First John four sixteen says it this way. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now, they already had love, but Paul prays they might grow in their love. Actually, that verse there is very expressive. Look what he says there, that you may uh, that your love may abound yet more and more. Gromachu says the imagery here is that of a river overflowing its banks during a flood. And love is that river that your love may abound yet more and more. But as was pointed out in my study, even a raging river needs some boundaries. It needs something, some certain bounds. And we find those here. Look at verse nine again. I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Here are the boundaries in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, the word knowledge there, we know the word love is the word agape. That self-sacrificial love, that Jesus love. The word knowledge here has the idea in the Greek of a precise knowledge or an advanced knowledge. Now, where would that kind of knowledge come from? It would come from God himself. Specifically, that kind of knowledge would come from God's word. One scholar said it literally means it refers to a thorough mental grasp of spiritual truth. And how do we get spiritual truth? We come to the word of God. What he's saying here, Paul is saying, I don't want your love to be ignorant. I don't want your love to be merely emotional or sentimentalism. No, as one scholar said it, biblical love is not empty sentimentalism. It's anchored deeply in the truth of Scripture and regulated by it. What do you mean, preacher? Well, listen to this. Ephesians 5, 2 and 3. And walk in love. Listen. And walk in love as Christ also have loved us. And have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God in a sweet smelling savor. But the next verse says this, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. First Peter one twenty two, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Beloved, there are some things that we're supposed to love. And there are some things we're not supposed to love at all. 
We're to love what God loves and we're to hate what God hates. And that's why it's so important for us to come to the word of God and let it be truly the final authority for faith and practice. He talks about walking in love in that Ephesians passage, but he says this, but fornication, don't love that. Don't walk in that uncleanness and covetousness. Let it not be once named among you. Don't love it. Don't handle it. Have nothing to do with it. There are some things we're to love. And some things we're not to love. That's why it's so important for us to come back to the word of God. What it mentions knowledge on the one side. And then it says in judgment, judgment has the idea of discernment. And that builds right upon that knowledge you just talked about. We're not to love everything. We're to have some discernment. I like what Corolla uh, said. His name's hard to say, but he has some good things to say. Love is discerning. It discerns between right and wrong conduct, between truth and error, between right and wrong practice, between correct and false doctrine and between genuineness and hypocrisy. And beloved, we need that kind of love. Now, how do we know what is right and what is wrong? God's word. We live in a day. Where many people believe, well, there's really nothing that wrong. It's whatever's right for you is right for you. And right for me is right for me. And it might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. Beloved, God is the one who says what is right and wrong. God is the one that says how we're to live. God is the one that says this is truth and this is error. And so I want you to grow in your love. You already have love. But I want it to grow and abound more and more as a river overflowing its banks. But having bounds of knowledge and discernment. The word of God, he prayed for their love. And that next request goes right upon it. He prayed next for their choices. Look at verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may approve things that are excellent. Approve there as the idea of testing, specifically of a saying of metals or testing money to see if it's authentic, to see if it's real and not counterfeit. And he says, I want you to test, I want you to approve, I want you to try things, and I want you to approve things that are excellent. Things that are superior, things that are worth more, things that really matter, things of real value. Beloved, you've surely found out by now that life is full of choices. And as believers, we usually do a pretty good job of choosing the good over the evil. But do we always choose the best over the good? That's where we fail so much of the time. We don't choose the best over the good. Let's talk about some realities for a moment. Number one, you can't do everything. You just can't. Now, now maybe you want to, but you can't. You cannot do everything. Number two, you only have one life to live. Beloved, this is not dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. We're living life this very moment. We're not preparing for life. We're living life. A third reality. You only have so much time, energy, and money. Everybody. Everybody has the same amount of time. Not everybody has the same amount of energy or money. But all of us are limited no matter how abounding our energy or money supplies may be. Number four, you make choices constantly. You made a choice this morning. You're here. <laughs> a good day to sleep in, wasn't it? My goodness, rain. 
But you made a choice. We're constantly making choices. Therefore, we need God's wisdom and instruction. And number five, you will give an account for your life. You will give an account for your life. Now, what is Paul praying here? Paul is praying not that they would spend their lives doing good things, but they spend their life doing the best things. Excellent things. We have those choices on a daily basis. You know, you're going to decide this week with Vacation Bible School. We do it regularly Wednesday nights. It's good to rest in the recliner on a Wednesday night. Man, it's been a long day. And it's good to rest in the recliner. But you know what? It's better to be in God's house and be refreshed spiritually. You know, it's good to play a round of golf. That's a good thing. But on Sunday morning, it's better to be in God's house. Now, those are either or examples. A lot of times it's not either or examples. It's those both and examples. In other words, both things are good, but one is better. For instance, it's good to make sure that your child is a great student. That's a good thing that they learn, that they understand these things, they study. But it's better to make sure your child knows and loves Jesus Christ. That's not an either or. That's saying, hey, I want you to be the best student you can be. But listen, the most important thing in life is that you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting the emphasis where it goes. It's good to coach children in sports. And I'm thankful for coaches and those who give their time and, 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 and do that. But it's better to teach children about Jesus. Now, you can combine those. It's really wonderful. Love, love Jesus, teach about Jesus and coaching. You see, we go back to the word of God and we find out that there are priorities in life. We find out what really matters in life and we put our focus and our efforts and our energy and our money and our lives in those things living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I would to God that more families, more parents would not treat church and the things of the Lord as optional or nice or luxuries and see their necessities. They're the most important things in life and express that and live that out in the lives of their kids and show them that. And Paul says, I'm praying you'll approve things. When you test all these things, you'll approve things that are excellent. And beloved, there are things that are excellent. And it goes back to what? What the preacher says? No. Not unless he's preaching this book. This is the final authority of faith and practice. That's why we should read it and study it and treasure it. We learn what God considers most important. And as you do that, beloved, it becomes easier and easier to choose the best over the good. He prayed for their choices. He prayed for their love. He prayed thirdly for their integrity. Look at verse 10 again. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Now, we know these requests are building one upon another. He prays, I want you to be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Let's take the last phrase first. What is the day of Christ? What is talking about here, beloved, the rapture. When Christ comes back for his church, 
He's already mentioned it in verse six, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Then he prays there in verse number 10. I pray that you'll be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. It's obvious that Paul lived with his eye to the sky, looking for the blessed return of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the while living a life for Christ. Sincere. I want you to be sincere. What does that mean? Well, here in the Greek, it has the idea of being judged by sunlight or without wax or unmixed. You say, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Well, think about a potter. In those days, they would they would make a, 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 a piece of pottery and perhaps there was a crack or an imperfection. Sometimes they would take some wax and they would rub it into that. And you just look at it in the dark and in, a, in, in, in a, a, not a very lit place and it looks pretty good. But when you hold it to the sunlight, what happens? It becomes very evident. And as believers, we're to hold our lives to the sunlight of God's word and see if our talk and our walk matches up to see if there's anything that's not right. As we read the word of God, we make sure that we're genuine, we're sincere, we're not hypocrites. Yes, all of us fail at times, all of us fumble at times. We confess those sins and go on, but our lives are genuine, they're sincere. We love the Lord, we want to serve the Lord. He's our Savior, He's our Master, He's our King. And I look and I see I want my life to be like Him. I'm sincere. And then it says without offense. That means blameless or not being a stumbling block. What is that all about, preacher? Well, you know what it is to be a stumbling block. Somebody else comes along and on your life they stumble and fall. It means not having a moral failure that causes others to stumble and sin or causes others to reject Christ outright. Not being perfect. Not being perfect. Man alive, we all had to be perfect. We'd be in trouble. We wouldn't be here, would we? Now, positionally in Christ, we're perfect in his righteousness, but progressively in sanctification, we're being made more and more like him. But it's the idea of having a life of integrity and consistency. Here's the idea. Have a good testimony. What is your testimony? Remember, other people are watching you. So I don't want other people to watch me. Too bad they are. They are. I don't want you watching me, but you are. And my life is saying something. My life is either showing forth the love and the light of Jesus Christ. Or not. Paul says, I'm praying that you live a life of integrity, that your light is shining brightly, that you're sincere, you're genuine, and that you are not a stumbling block. Now, I want you to notice so far in our study, as you studied Paul's prayer request. He has not once mentioned their bunions, their sore big toes, or their balding heads. Not once. Now, don't get mad at me. We need to pray for health concerns. We need to pray for health needs. We need to pray for physical needs. But we're already masters at doing that. We have an advanced degree in doing that. The real question is, when are we going to start praying like this? When are we going to turn our request from the physical world to the spiritual world? Imagine praying this for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying, Lord, I pray their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and discernment. 
Lord, I pray for my brother that he, he prove things that are excellent. I pray he'd be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Imagine praying like that. We need to do that to get our prayers more balanced. He prayed for their love. He prayed for their choices. He prayed for their integrity. And then fourthly, he prayed for their fruitfulness. Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, before we talk about the fruit here today, I want you to notice the source of our fruitfulness. Look at it again. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which, watch this, are by Jesus Christ. It says elsewhere in Scripture in John chapter 15, these words, I am the true vine and my father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me, that is Jesus. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. We see the source is the Lord Jesus. Without him we can do nothing. We want to be fruitful with abide in him and he in us. But I also want to point out before we talk about the fruit, I want you to notice the goal and motivation of being fruitful. Look at the verse again. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Watch this next part. Unto the glory and praise of God. Listen, the glory of God and the praise of God. This was the goal of Paul's prayers. It's also the goal that he prayed for them. And it's the goal of everything we do. It's no mistake. It's not an accident that in our church's mission statement, the very first thing we put in there was were these words glorify God, because that covers it all. Glorify God, grow more like Jesus, go with the gospel. You say you got scripture for that glorify God. First Corinthians 1031. Well, therefore, ye eat. Or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. First Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God, listen, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The source is Christ. The goal was the glory of God. And now let's talk about the fruit. He says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, think about fruit for a moment. Don't get too hungry, but think about it. A lot of fruit is mentioned in the Bible. I believe this fruit would mention would, would include several things here. I want you to if you want to make a list here very quickly. First of all, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. It, of course, includes the fruit of the Spirit. But also you have what is called the fruit of evangelism. Romans chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Now, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto. 
that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you all that are at Rome also. The fruit of the spirit, the fruit of evangelism. Thirdly, and our adult Sunday school curriculum hit on this today, the fruit of holiness. We don't talk about holiness much. We don't discuss that much. But Romans chapter six, verse 22 says this. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Another fruit mentioned is the fruit of good works. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then finally, the fruit of thanksgiving. You say thanksgiving's fruit? Listen to Hebrews 13.15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Paul wants them to be fruitful. Someone has observed God is looking for spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Think about that. He wants to see fruit in our lives. And when Paul prayed for the Philippians, he said, I pray for your love. I pray for your choices. I pray for your integrity. I pray for your fruitfulness. And I believe all those requests are tied up in the first one. And that is that abounding love. That growing, overflowing, superabounding love. The preacher A.B. Simpson expressed it this way. Oh, love that gave itself for me. Help me to love and live like thee. And kindle in this heart of mine the passion fire of love divine. Set all my ransom powers on fire. Give me the love that naught can tire. And kindle in this heart of mine the living fire of zeal divine. O Holy Ghost, for thee I cry, baptized with power from on high, and kindle in this heart of mine the living fire of power divine. Help me to pray till all my soul shall move and bend at thy control, and kindle in this heart of mine thy living fire of prayer divine. O love divine, O love divine, revive this languid heart of mine, and kindle in me from above the living fire of heavenly love. When's the last time you prayed for yourself or someone else? Lord, help my love to grow and abound that I might be more loving and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we ever pray that way? When Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris after World War One, he took them to. He took some of his friends to show them a few of the amazing and splendid sights of the city. He took them to the Louvre. He took them to Napoleon's tomb. And, and amazingly, they found very little interest in any of those touristy places. You know what the thing was that caught their imagination? It was the faucet in the bathtub at the hotel. They were mesmerized with that faucet. <laughs> they spent a lot of their time there turning it on and turning it off. Turning it on, turning it on. They thought it was wonderful. All they had to do was turn on that faucet and they'd get all the water they wanted. Well, sometime later, when they were ready to leave Paris and return to the east, Lawrence found them in the bathroom trying to detach the faucet. Here's what they said. You see, it is very dry in Arabia. 
What we need are faucets. If we have faucets, we'll have all the water we will ever need. Well, Lawrence had to take a moment and explain the effectiveness of the faucets did not lie in themselves, but then the immense system of waterworks to which they were attached. And then he had to point out that behind this lay the rain and snowfall of the Alps. And the writer who was writing this shared this. He said, many of God's people, listen, many of God's people today are living lives that are as dry and dusty as the deserts of the Arabia. They have faucets, but there's no connection to the pipeline. That is the difference God makes when our lives are intimately and relationally linked to his. There's refreshment and spiritual fruit. And all we have to do is turn on the tap. Now, I ask you today in closing, friend, how about you? How about you? First of all, are you even connected? That is, do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You'll come to repentance and faith, fully entrusting Christ. He'll save you. Are you connected? And then you say, maybe, maybe you say, preacher, yes, I know Jesus is my savior. I know I'm a child of God. I know my sin is forgiven. I know heaven is my home. Well, I want to ask you, have you been turning the tap of prayer? That sweet communion with the Father is your love abounding. Are your choices correct? Are you genuine and without offense? That is blameless, not a stumbling block. Are you fruitful? Are you abiding in Jesus, bringing glory to the Father? Do you pray like this? I want to read the prayer request one more time. And this I pray, verse 9, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Amen and amen. Dear Heavenly Father, examine our hearts by Thy Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray Thy Holy Spirit to put His finger on any area of our life that is not what it ought to be. I pray that if someone here today who's lost, I pray for the Spirit's convicting, they'll realize their sin and their need, and they'll come today in repentance and faith, trusting Christ. I pray for we who know You, thank You, Father, for saving us. Lord, help us as we look at our prayer lives. So look at what we revolve our lives around and what we're involved in. Lord, we know that life is short. Days are passing by. It's so important for us to live lives for your honor and your glory. To point others to Jesus and not away from him. And so, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit to have his way in this congregation this moment. And as we sing in a moment that closing song, I pray that many will step out and come and kneel at the altar and do business with you. Whatever it is that you're dealing with them about, they'll be submissive. And Lord, help us in our prayers, Lord, to move away from so much of the physical and start looking toward those spiritual needs present both in ourselves and in others.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.